Here's the editor of Lenswork Publishing, Brooks Jensen. As you're probably aware, every once in a while, I delve into a topic that takes much longer than I can discuss in the course of a normal podcast, which are usually about 20 minutes or so. And this is an example of such a case. Last week, I started talking about gear and made the point that sometimes gear doesn't make a difference in my finished images that show up in a project. That is to say, I can't tell what camera I used for a picture that goes into a project because they all sort of blend in and look alike. Well, that got me thinking about the opposite. What are changes that have taken place, developments in the field of photography that have made a difference in my creative life? And so that's where we're picking up in this podcast. I'll discuss eight game-changing developments in photography that have revolutionized my creative life. In thinking about all of this, I started asking myself the question, what are the things that have taken place in my life in photography to upgrade equipment and etc. that have made a difference in the images that I produce, that have in some cases made possible the images I produce that were, with previous generations of equipment, virtually impossible to do. And the more I thought about this, the more interesting it became. And I ended up identifying eight game-changing developments in photography that have literally revolutionized my creative life. Let me share these eight with you and my reasons as to why these are the important things that have happened in the world of gear that have changed my life. And by the way, these aren't in any order, so I'm not ranking them in any way whatsoever. But let's start with zoom lenses. Zoom lenses have been around in photography for as long as I've been doing photography. At least they have been in the world of 35 millimeter cameras. But I only used 35 millimeter cameras for about the first six or eight months of my photographic life, and I very quickly wanted larger negatives, so I started using twin lens cameras, a Yashica Mat 124G and Mamiya 330, neither one of which had zoom lenses. Matter of fact, the Yashica didn't even have interchangeable lenses. Then I graduated to a monorail view camera, which all had fixed focal length lenses. There's no such thing that I'm aware of anyway, of a zoom lens for a view camera. So it wasn't until I started working with digital cameras that the idea of zoom lenses were even possible, let alone made any sense. But then I remembered way back when I was first learning about photography, the the common wisdom was that zoom lenses were a compromise. They were never as good as a prime lens. I still hear people saying that today. And, you know, maybe it's true, but I'm not buying that hook, line, and sinker anymore. Maybe the early zoom lenses in the 70s and 80s were a compromise compared to prime lenses. It's possible. I don't know for sure. I never tested them. But I will tell you this. The testing that I've done in the digital world comparing top-quality zoom lenses to top-quality prime lenses, the zoom lenses are just as good. At least for the work that I do, I can tell no quality compromises in the image when I use a zoom lens compared to a prime lens. 
So all the lenses I have now, well, I have one exception. I do have one prime, a portrait length prime, but all the other lenses I have are zoom lenses. And why is that important? Well, because with a prime lens, if you want to essentially crop into the image a little bit, because you're seeing more than what you would like to see in the final composition, you have to move closer. And when you move closer, the objects in three dimension change their relationships from one another. So think of you're photographing in the forest, and you've got a near tree and a far tree, and where you're standing, you like the relationship between the near tree and the far tree, but your prime lens isn't long enough to capture that. So what do you do? You walk a little closer. But when you walk a little closer, the near tree and the far tree are likely to separate a little bit, which changes the composition. On the other hand, if you stay standing in the same place and simply zoom in a little bit, you can crop out some of the parts of the image that you won't, don't want by using the longer focal length in the zoom without changing the relationship of all the images in the composition. To me, that is a huge advantage to a zoom lens. And experientially, what I've found is my zoom lenses are tack sharp, beautifully contrasty, have micro detail that's fantastic, do not have issues in the corners that I can ever see in a photograph. They don't have flare because of all of the optical elements and because they're all coded and aspherical and this and that and the other thing. The design of today's zoom lenses is fantastic. And the use of zoom lenses has literally revolutionized my creative life. Next, let's talk about digital ISO. Of course, in film days, the ISO was determined by the film that you chose to purchase at the store. And once you had purchased that film, your ISO was set. Now, you could purchase several different kinds of film. I remember going to Japan in 1990 with my monorail view camera, and I had to gear up with film. So I went to the store, and how much film do I need? That was a challenge, and it was bulky, and I had to carry it there, and I had to carry it back, and etc. But also, how much film did I need that was ISO 25? How much did I need that was 100? How much did I need that was 400? I had to try to figure all that out. Now, with digital ISO, I don't have to do any of that. As a matter of fact, it's more revolutionary than that. Because I never liked film grain... I always chose as my primary film the slowest film I could get away with, ISO, or what we used to call ASA 100 or ASA 25. And then I would have to expose it so that the toe of the curve was high enough that I preserved shadow detail. So I actually shot all of my ASA 25 film at ASA 8 and then developed it in Butler's and I had beautiful shadows. But ASA 8, I mean... That's really slow. And as a result of that, it meant that I had to use certain kinds of shutter speeds, which implied most of the time shooting with a tripod. As a matter of fact, with a view camera, all the time I had to shoot with a tripod. Now, with digital ISO, I don't see any difference at all between shooting at ISO 160 and shooting at ISO 1600, which is two stops faster than the old ASA 400 film that I used to use. 
And now, just in the last six months or so with Adobe's Denoise, I've been able to push that even further. I don't hesitate at all shooting at ISO 3200, 6400, and even 12,800 if I need to. Those images with Denoise can be satisfactory. I'm perfectly happy with them. So ISO almost becomes, with today's digital cameras, a non-factor. I don't even have to think about that. Matter of fact, for the last couple of years, I've used auto ISO and have not had one image that I found unusable because of ISO issues. The only thing to keep in mind with digital ISO is the higher the ISO, the lower the dynamic range. So if you've got a really contrasty subject, you may not be able to pull out the shadow detail that you'd like, but that doesn't happen all that often, at least not in the kind of work that I do. So digital ISO has also revolutionized my creative life now that I don't have the restrictions of slow ISOs, long shutter speeds, tripods necessary, etc. Next, fully articulating LCD screens. This has been a huge thing for me because an awful lot of the pictures that I want to make are not from a position of as high as my eyes are off the ground. I like to be higher than that. I like to be lower than that. Sometimes I like to be right at ground level. Try using a view camera at ground level. In the first place, it's hard to get a tripod that goes that low. And in the second place, you have to lay on your stomach to be able to crank your head back and look at the ground glass in order to focus and compose your image. It's absolutely miserable. But with fully articulating LCD screens, now that's not an issue. I can hold the camera as high above my head as I can. I can hold it to the side. I can hold it down at my feet. Wherever I'm holding the camera, I can easily see what's on the LCD screen for both composition and all the other reasons you need to see the LCD screen, like setting your shutter speed and aperture and all that kind of stuff. Fully articulating LCD screens are so important now that I simply wouldn't buy a camera if it didn't have a fully articulating LCD screen. There are some great cameras that have tilting screens. I still wouldn't consider them because they're not fully articulating. To me, fully articulating LCD screens were a game changer that revolutionized my creative life. Next, and this is a relatively recent one. And as I was brainstorming the topics for this podcast, I was surprised that this was one of the thoughts that I had, but it's altering the negative. Now think about this. In the film days, of course, the only thing you could do to alter a negative was to change the way it was developed. But once it was developed, N plus 1, N minus 2, all that kind of stuff that we did, once the film was developed, there was nothing you could do to alter it, at least not easily and comfortably. The only story I've ever heard in my years of photography of altering a developed negative is when Ansel Adams supposedly selenium-toned the negative for Moonrise over Hernandez to intensify the brightness on the crosses. That's manipulating the negative after development. But that's the only time I've ever heard of such a thing. Most of the time, what we did is we altered the way it was printed by changing the grade of the paper or using variable contrast filters and all that kind of stuff. 
But altering the negative has become a normal part of my process now. But of course, what I'm really meaning is not the negative, but rather the digital file. The new Adobe Super Resolution, and in particular, Denoise, alter the original capture. That's why when you run Denoise and Super Resolution, you end up with a new DNG file. They're doing something to the digital negative, if you will. They're doing something that is marvelous. The, the Denoise capabilities are mind-boggling. And altering the negative is something that I never even imagined that one could do. But now we can. And although this technique is, well, I forget now when it was introduced. Was it six months or a year ago? Whenever it was, I would have never anticipated the impact that would have on my life. But it really has, particularly denoise, because it's opened up for me and my micro four-thirds, relatively small sensor camera. It's opened up those higher ISOs to make absolutely stunning images that are noise-free. So altering the negative is a strategy that has revolutionized my creative life. Here's the next one. Two-sided printing paper. My goodness, what a mind-boggling revolution that has been. I'm not aware in the entire history of photography any two-sided printing paper. I suppose maybe it would have been possible to make it if you were using that that spray-on gelatin silver coating, but I never heard anybody ever doing it. But now that I have access to two-sided printing paper from my inkjet paper, it opens up the whole idea of handmade artists' books, chapbooks, even signature-bound books. All of that is now possible because of two-sided paper. Before we had two-sided printing paper for our inkjet printers, we could only print on one side just like gelatin silver or platinum palladium or anything. And when that was the case, the only way we could do a handmade artist book was do like a Japanese fan fold where everything was printed on one side of the paper. But you couldn't do anything that involved signatures or sewing. Two-sided printing paper was a huge revolution in my creative art life and opened up doors that I couldn't even begin to imagine until all of a sudden it just showed up. And it wasn't one of those things that the manufacturers touted very loudly. Sure, it was advertised and all of that, but compared to the biggies, megapixels, frames per second, video capabilities, two-sided printing paper sort of slipped in the back door and no one really paid it much attention. But for the kind of work that I do and the media that I want to present, it has been a absolute revolution. Next, this is a strange one because it's not one that we normally think of. At least I've never heard anybody talk about this issue, but it's huge. And that is enlargements without optics. Now think about this. In the film days, you had to pass the light through a lens to expose the negative. And sometimes those lenses did things to the light. Maybe it introduced coma or astigmatism or spherical aberration or something. Lenses aren't perfect. Some of them are better than others, but there is no lens that's perfect. 
So the light passes through the lens, exposes the film, we develop the film, then what do we do? We put the film in an enlarger and pass it through yet another lens in order to expose the paper. It takes two sets of optics in order to make an enlargement. The only other alternative is you make a contact print, in which case your finished print is obviously the same size as your negative. But in the digital workflow, we have enlargement without that second set of optics, the optics that would normally be on the enlarger. By not using enlarging lenses to make larger images, we completely eliminate whatever flaws or aberrations or complications arise by passing light through a second set of optics. Now, we only have the one set of optics, which is the optics on the camera. That single reality in the digital workflow is so important because anything that touches the light is likely to introduce some sort of flaw or misrepresentation or something because lenses aren't perfect. So being able to make enlargements and big enlargements without having to use a second set of optics in the enlarging process is a huge deal. As a matter of fact, we sometimes forget that through, what, roughly Edward Weston and his generation, there was no such thing as enlargements. If you wanted to make a bigger picture, you had to get a bigger camera and bigger film. And that was the only way to make a bigger image because everything was contact prints. Not until enlargers came about, and please don't quote me on this because I'm not sure I'm remembering this right, but I think enlargers first hit the scene in the 1930s, maybe the 1920s. But until then, every output from a camera was the same size as the negative or the sensitized plate in the camera. I tend to think of Ansel Adams and that generation being the first generation of photographers to have access to enlargers. And when they started making bigger prints, oh my goodness, 11 by 14s and 16 by 20s were mind-boggling. Now we sort of take those for granted because enlarging is a part of the process. And I think a good reason why enlarging is just part of the process is because we don't have the image compromises that were invoked when using enlarging lenses to create the bigger image. Enlargements without optics through the digital workflow has absolutely revolutionized my creative life because it's given me access to a quality of image in a large print that I never had before because there were just too many complications, too many introduced errors by enlarging lenses. Next, and this also is a mind-boggling development in photography, and that is images without prints. When I started in photography, which wasn't that long ago, 50 years ago, not relative to the history of photography, when I started, if you didn't make a print, there was no photograph. There was no way to see it unless you made a print. You couldn't look at a negative. Well, you could look at a negative, but you couldn't see anything because all the tones are reversed and it's relatively small until you enlarged it into a positive and then people could see it. So if there was no print, there was no photograph. 
Um, okay, maybe slides. We could talk about that, but they're little tiny things, you know, they're the size of 35 millimeter film. And most of the people I know who shot slides as their primary capture medium ended up making large prints out of them. So I'll repeat, if there are no prints, there are no photographs. Compare that to today. The vast majority of photographs are never printed. They're posted on the internet and Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. In my case, my chosen publication medium is PDFs. Again, an image without a print. We don't need to make prints anymore to communicate our creative vision. We can. That's what's lovely about it. So it's not like digital media has replaced prints. We can now do both. And there are some projects that deserve to be printed and some that it's not important to print them. Some projects I like to do prints and handmade chapbooks and show on a website and produces a PDF. There's lots of media that we can choose from these days and not all of them require physical output. That has revolutionized my creative life. And finally, well, at least the last one that I thought of when I was trying to dream up these game-changing developments in photography that have revolutionized my creative life is visual editing. Again, go back to the darkroom. You made a print. You looked at a print and you thought, hmm, this lower left corner needs to be a little darker. Okay, so you now have a strategy for making the next iteration of the print that will improve it. But you're not doing visual editing. You're doing some guesswork. How much of the corner needs to be darkened? How many more seconds are you going to add to that in order to get the right level of darkness? Do you need to burn in that corner with with a different grade filter so that it's maybe increasing the contrast in that. You don't know. It's a guess. So you put in a new piece of paper, you turn on the enlarger, you do a little burning in. That's your best guess on how much burning in it takes. Turn off the enlarging light, put the paper in the development, bring it all up, and see. Well, how's it look? No, it needs to be a little darker. No, it needs to be a little lighter. Now that I've darkened that corner, I have to do something else over in this corner so that it tonally balances with the burning in I just did. Okay, so how much do you change the burning in in the left corner and how much do you add to the burning in in the right corner? It's a guess. You go through the whole process again. It is not visual editing. It's guesswork, guesswork, guesswork. Wasting a lot of paper, wasting a lot of time with very little control. Compare that to Photoshop. Compare that to Lightroom, where we make visual editing decisions in real time. When we darken an image, we know exactly how much to darken it because we can see how much our actions are affecting the darkening. Visual editing through the digital workflow has been perhaps the biggest thing that has revolutionized my creative life. All of that wet darkroom guesswork was very frustrating, very time-consuming, very expensive, and not very accurate. Whereas visual editing is the ultimate in control. 
There just isn't an excuse now for making an image that doesn't look exactly like you want it to look on, for all intents and purposes, a pixel-by-pixel basis. So, the impact of these eight game-changing developments in photography become really apparent when I try to imagine doing photography without any of these revolutions. Imagine trying to do photography today without zoom lenses, without digital ISO, without fully articulating LCD screens, without the ability to alter the negative and take care of problematic issues like noise, without two-sided printing paper. Imagine having to go back to use enlargers with enlarging lenses and the enlarging optics as our way to make bigger pictures. Imagine that you could never share another image over the internet or via email or Facebook or whatever, that you had to mail prints, physical prints, to anybody you wanted to see your work. And imagine going back to that guesswork of processing in the wet darkroom. I know that manufacturers are all interested in gear. I know gear is the foundation of what we do. But my contention is the improvements on megapixels, frames per second, and the video capabilities that all the manufacturers are shoving into their marvelous little machines, all of those changes pale in comparison to these eight game-changing developments in photography that I think have been really impactful, way beyond anything I could have imagined in my youth, and all of which are now capabilities of photography that I rely on every single day. Copyright 2024, Lenswork Publishing.